1: And this is Mark Vila and today we've got a great episode actually and we have a guest on. We're going to be here chatting with Kelly Lawrence from Lawrence Innovation and this podcast is really going to be about creating a marketing playbook. So um, (laughs) welcome Kelly.
0: Hey guys, thanks Mark and Mark for having me excited to be here.
1: So the, uh,
2: the reason that we're, we're having Kelly on here is because uh, two things happened or several things happened at once. Uh, we've been doing these episodes recently like on um, warm calling and building your ideal customer, your customer avatar and kind of the strategy behind your business. And at the same time, Kelly has kind of joined the on-demand team in, in one respect. Um, and we've been talking about these these playbooks that she develops for um, for customers, so um, they they kind of came together because we've been building a playbook one episode at a time, okay, for for the last little bit. But I think it's really useful um, to to kind of do it in a more organized fashion, fashion. And and Kelly is the pro that can do that, okay. Um, Kelly, why don't you kind of jump in and tell us a little bit about yourself and what a marketing playbook is?
0: Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Lawrence. I'm the CEO and founder of Lawrence Innovation. I have been teaching B2B teams how to grow for well over 20 years. I've worked for Fortune 500 companies and global marketing roles. I have built businesses upwards of $50 million I've worked at smart uh, startups and I teach end-to-end marketing, everything from I'm trying to figure out how to go into a new market space to, hey, I have a new product that I want to launch, or I'm trying to drive demand for existing products. So that's what I do. And Mark, it's a great topic, the playbook, because I find that it's one of the underutilized tools out there. Whether you're a small company or a large company. So, if we start with what a playbook is, it's really supposed to be your roadmap. This is that thing that's kind of the final touch, whether you are the head of the company, the head of marketing, or the head of sales. If you are that person who is responsible for results, you're the one who's usually putting the playbook together. And you're trying to get crystal clear on what it is. What are you going to sell? Who are you going to sell it to? Why are they going to buy it? What makes you different from the next best alternative? because there's always something you have competition. I guarantee you, you have a competition. and what value are you going to get out of this thing that you're selling? And so yeah. that's kind of the that's the high level. So I liken it back to. Would you ever go camping at a week at a time and not take food, or a tent, or a flashlight, or a po- or, or or a pocket knife, right? Probably not. I, you know, especially, especially if you were trained in Boy Scouts, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not going
1: camping. I just want to
2: <laughs> I just want to make that perfectly clear. There's no, there's no camping in my future
1: yeah and um, and similar to how I would handle marketing um, when when I do go camping the four times i 've gone i 've brought essentially a whole bedroom with me and yeah there's <laughs> so and, but that 's how that is how I approach marketing as well, and I think that it 's great that you lay it out like this and we give it a, a proper name, and sometimes you you know say marketing plan or, or marketing. Um, you know, roadmap or whatever it is, but I like the word playbook because it um, there's some implications in that word, you know? Uh, and for one of the, one of the things that I get out of the word playbook is that um, this is something you refer to like a, you know, like a, like a book, you know, is something you refer to um, a playbook would be something that would be referred, referred to and maybe sports or something like that as well. And you need mm-hmm. to constantly check that. So uh, I, I like using yeah. that as the word And
0: um, that's great, Mark, because I like what you said. You have to constantly check that. Because what happens when we launch a product? We do all this work up front. we've looked at our market, we've identified opportunities and we've learned a lot. Well, if that's a product manager or whatever that role is, that's usually one person or a small team of people, no matter what the size of your organization. Now you have to communicate all that information out to the people who are going to be doing the selling the real business development and so you have to transition all this knowledge that you've built and markets are not stagnant they change especially in the world we live digital printing on demand it's moving and it's changing sometimes on a daily basis and you have to come back and revisit that. And the sales playbook, you know, the marketing sales playbook, it gives you an opportunity to transition out, but also for your sales team to bring information back and say, mm, you know what? This isn't true anymore. This changed. We need to update this. And yeah. now you can keep an internal alignment. And we all talk about best practices. Anybody ever do a best practices call and your sales team looked at you and they went, I don't know. I just do what I do. I I don't have anything to share.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so common. Yeah. Um, So
2: one of the things, one of the things uh, that I really liked about what you said is uh, two things is the um, it's the person responsible who's building the playbook. Absolutely. Regardless of your title. Right. So, and, and it's not just, and, and it's also this idea that, you know, a play in sports is everything that you intend to happen and who's doing it. And then if you have a marketing playbook Mm -hmm. and a sales playbook and an operations playbook and a management playbook, then, you know, it's kind of like when we did the Mm -hmm. podcast Mark about the turnaround strategies and looking Mm -hmm. at your business, like you were going to sell it and how you would present that to a buyer. And imagine if you could just, you know, well, here's here's how we get from an order on the website to a shipping out the door. Here's that here's that playbook.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's important to me. And um, when we when I first heard of us getting a chance to chat with Kelly here and share this, I got really excited about that. And and that word playbook kept playing back per se in my head, and I was thinking about when we just talked about referencing it all the time and the person who's in charge of it needs to be responsible for that playbook. And when I was a, when I was a, when I was younger, when I was a kid, I'd play the sports video games all the time, you know? So anyone who's played them, you know, like Madden, you know, NFL, you know, video game was something that I played a ton when I was a teenager and they had the playbook on the bottom that you would open up and you would know which plays would work during at certain times of the game and you would so you'd constantly refer back to that and you would start to of course if you were good at playing the game you'd realize over time which plays kind of line up with which uh which teams you're up against and i find that when we're making play, playbooks like this for marketing um it needs to be i gather and t- and i'm curious on your thoughts on this kelly mm-hmm. do you have one playbook for say all of your marketing or are you or are you Segmenting it into different products that you sell, and and what is the um, how does that work, especially if you want to use like Coldesi um, as an example. We sell um, direct to garment printer machines, and we sell embroidery machines. The audience is different. The competition is different. They kind they kind of do the same thing, right? They decorate something, a piece of apparel, but they're mm. but we need to treat them differently in our marketing strategy. So how do you go from big picture down to little products or or do you, how do you, you know, I don't know. You go on to that, (laughs) you go with that idea, that rambling thought of an idea and tell me what you think.
0: Mark, that's great. And I, I love one of the words that you said, you said preparation and that's exactly what this is. So you've also used another one of my favorite words, segmentation, because we can look at it and we can say, ah, we serve the imaging space. Well, the imaging space is pretty big. And to your point, there are people who embroider and there are people who print. There are different size printers. There are different print technologies. If you were doing dye sublimation or you're doing screen printing or you're doing pigment jet printing, they're all a little bit different. So to your point, the more you segment and you understand the behavior and the value, you know, what, is, what is the ultimate problem that your customer is trying to solve? That's really what drives the playbook. So you have a playbook for the specific problem that a customer is trying to solve and that's gonna drive your segmentation. And then you're really trying to coach people, you know, the, your selling team, you're coaching them on here are all the different points of value that our product brings. And there are loads of points of value on each of the machines that Coldesi brings, right? But when you have that conversation and that ultimate buyer, you're talking for 30 minutes. Maybe you only see him for five minutes. Realistically, you can't hit on every single value point. And realistically, every single value point is not necessarily relevant to that buyer. And... Guess what? They're probably going to push back on something. They're probably going to say, wait a minute. I don't know. I I just have this new equipment over here. How can I afford yours? And you have to be ready with an answer to that. Wait a minute. It's too expensive. Well, hang on. Have you thought about the total cost of ownership that's involved here? Wait a minute. I can't do it because and so what's the worst thing that happens if you're in front of your customer and they say, wait a minute, I, I, I don't know about this. What happens when you freeze and you go, oh, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. Do they, do they want to talk to you? Did you lose credibility? Probably. So this is a way of taking your knowledge experts that have all this data and have had all these voice of customer conversations, hopefully, And, and giving that to your sales team and saying, okay, when you hear this objection, it's too expensive. Here's the work that we've done. Here's how our product compares to that next best alternatives. Here's the value, the proof that you can share with this customer to, to teach them because it's not about selling so much as it is about teaching a different way of doing something that can really impact a process or an outcome positively
2: so kelly is there um is there a different approach that different size or different stage businesses would take in developing a playbook so for example if um you know is there a difference between setting one up for cold and setting a, setting one up for someone that um, just got their digital heat effects or their dtgg g four and are just kind of kicking things off? Like where, where do those breakpoints happen?
0: Sure. You know, it really comes down to not so much about the company size. It's really about the segmentation, as we were chatting a little bit earlier. And it's about having one of these, and you know, the bare minimum, you've got to say, well, who what am I selling? What value does it provide? Who am I selling it to? And it doesn't matter if you're a fortune 100 or if you are an army of one, you've got to have clarity on those points. You know, businesses fail when they don't have cash flow, but the other top four reasons all come back to marketing science. And it's all about, do I have customer engagement? Do I have a winning value proposition? You know, something that really matters and makes an impact. Did I communicate that value effectively? And do I have a business model to make money? And this is the other way to look at this. It's a roadmap, but it's also your checkpoint. It's the way to go back and say, hmm, am I missing anything? Oh, if if I can't explain why we're different, how can I expect my sales team to?
2: Yeah, I, I, I like that. And I think the way that, Koldesi well, typically does that is, you know, we, we talk about um, our, our, our intelligent training design, you know, our um, live online and our self-paced training classes are great support. You know, these are things where we take a fairly common product like an embroidery machine, which is really good quality and has neat features, but that's not really why people buy the Avance 1501C. They buy it because it's from us, you know, and if we've done a good job with our value proposition, then, then that's why they buy it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, for our customers, it might be, it might be different. So, you know, what would a Mark, take a stab at this one. What would a value proposition for, you know, a, a midsize, a midsize t-shirt printing company be like, why would somebody do business with, um, bob's digital t-shirt transfers versus somebody else
1: sure so um i'll go ahead and go for that so um i empathize with our customers a lot because that's something that they have a challenge with right is why should they go with me versus the big screen sh- screen print shop down the road and um i think it comes down to, for one it's just the simple stuff right it's the very obvious stuff is the highest level in my opinion um, you get to deal with me, I'm the owner and you get to deal with my son or my brother or my cousin or my wife, whoever is working with me and you get to work with us. We're the owners. So for one, you're always going to get personal attention from us. We are, we're also going to offer more of a, uh, whether you, whether you want to say it's a consultative approach or a personal approach to the needs of your business needing t-shirts so you come to me if you go to the big shop who's busy you're going to say hey i need t-shirts how many 36 how many colors you know and 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 you're filling out an order form when you order from my business i'm going to take a look at why do you want the t-shirts what are they for are they indoor event outdoor event are they something that's going to be washed a lot or worn once what's more important the how it looks or the budget and then we put things together and maybe in the end, the t-shirt wasn't what you were looking for. Maybe, maybe you wanted hats.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. I feel, like, I feel like that's the end of the playbook and that you would work backwards to get to that point. Does that make sense, Kelly?
0: Oh, absolutely. And I love what you said there because your smaller businesses. The overall value proposition may be different. You know, so many times we beat ourselves up because we're an army of one or an army of 10 rather than an army of thousands. And at the end of the day, every organization has a resource limitation and it's what you do with that resource that really makes the difference. And I love what you talked about there. And when you're smaller, you really have an opportunity to do a custom approach, to differentiate on what I call customer intimacy. You're differentiating on your service, on that personal touch, on the customization, really making it unique to your customer. You're not just one of thousands upon thousands of customers. You're not necessarily differentiating on having the lowest price. And there are there's a large segment out there that will pay for that service.
2: You know, it, it's funny. It's, it's kind of on the on the larger company side. It's like when we had uh, Mike Angel on to talk about. Um, on demand and configurator software because a huge brand you know if you are a big company with you know if you've got five hundred people in a screen print and embroidery business and you're doing wholesale work you know it's not as easy for you to um, to have a personal connection with your customers but maybe part of the playbook is you know you've identified that one of the things that you're that's important to you is to do that. And part of the playbook is the, the higher level of personalization I can allow my, my customers to have control of, the more personal experience it's going to feel like for them. So I can't be on the phone with these people talking about which shirt they want, which fabric they want, how many colors they want, things like that. But I can offer that same experience online you know, if that's the kind of focus of the business.
0: Absolutely. And you know, sometimes we're going after new markets or new markets to me. Maybe today I sell t-shirts, but tomorrow I really want to sell socks. Or I really want to sell hairbands. Or it's COVID times. I, Everybody's making masks, right?
2: I just I just had I I just I just had the picture of me having a coffee with my wife tomorrow morning. You know, sweetheart. I think. Tomorrow, I want to sell socks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, you're going to do your market research and make sure that that market's profitable to you. Yeah. Maybe you're going into signage. But it's, the point is, you're looking for a new revenue stream that's new to you. So it might be an existing market, but your team is not familiar with it. And you have to educate them about that market. So you're going to give them all the best preparation. You're going to say these are the typical customers at a high level, you know, that you know, I, I'm looking for these types of brand owners. I'm looking for the category manager. And then you can get really specific you know when you're when you're really kind to your sales team, and you say these are the specific companies, the specific people, and are really qualified hot leads for you. Here's a phone number and an email address where you can engage with them, and right. you can get to that level of specificity.
1: Cool, yeah, actually, I had an idea for something um, box, yes. No, but (laughs) nothing to do with socks actually. And and I'm wondering if this is something that we can do because I'm I'm, I'm listening to everything and I'm making some notes on everything that we're saying and everything that we've said so far makes a lot of sense to um, somebody who's done something like this before. Um, Understanding where to start is a realize a, a big challenge and I'm sure Mark can attest to this and you Kelly, when you're to somebody who's never done anything like this before, oftentimes they're starting like somewhere in the middle or at the end or all the way, like not even in the playbook, right? they they, they start focusing. And every time I have a conversation with somebody, it's like all over the map because they're not used to starting with what you started this very podcast with, with like your list of things, that you need to do, you know, who are you going to sell to? Why are you different? Is it going to be profitable? All of those things. So I was wondering if we could maybe take five minutes and come up with an example business that somebody's going to start and go through those things that you list together and see if we can, not how we would literally do it together as a team of three, maybe starting this business.
0: Oh, great idea.
1: So Mark, do you have um, so Kelly, you're in charge of the list of things we have to answer. <laughs> Mark, uh, you get to pick the idea.
2: Okay. Well I'll make sure I mean, we move through. I think I think it's obvious that we should all be in a custom sublimated sock business. Okay. <laughs> That's gonna be an international the goal is to dominate the custom sublimated sock market. Um okay. for, young, for young athletes.
1: Okay, all right. Um, so what's the first, what's our first thing that we're going to, what are, what are the things we're trying to answer here, Kelly?
0: Ooh, well, you know, we're going for young athletes. So what is our age range? And we should probably go talk to some of those young athletes and understand why do they wear socks? What do they want? What kind of performance do they want out of that sock for a given sport? And and we might find that we've got some more segmentation in there. Maybe um I I was a runner, not a very good one, but a runner. Mm-hmm. And we always found that you really needed a strong, sturdy sock that with a lot of breathability so that you didn't get hot spots on your feet. Okay. And I wanted a really low sock and lightweight and not sink down in my shoe. But But I also had a stint where I played soccer and I needed a sock that went, you know, was really broad and would go over the pads, the shin guards, and it would go up to your knee. So I might find that I have some segmentation in there in my audience. So I probably need to pick 10 people or so per sport that I want to go after.
2: So, so you're saying, you know, the, um, that you would go out and interview 10 people or you would put, or you would assume what your segments are going to be. Like I assume like eight to eight to 11 year old um, girl soccer players is one segment and you know, 14 to 21 year old tennis players is another. And then I would go find people to interview in those categories. Or if I'm saying like, I want to manufacture socks Um, I've got connections in youth sports. Um, I'm going to go talk to 10 or 15 different people and figure out what the needs are.
0: Absolutely. And you can do it either way. Um, And it really comes back to thinking about your market and saying, Hmm, where do I think I'm going to be profitable? And we always come up with these hypotheses. So you can actually come at it, Mark, from either direction. And, you start having conversations and one of my favorite things is you go in with an open mind and you think that the 11 to 13 year old tennis players you know those girls are going to buy all kinds of stuff and then you start talking to a few of them and you find out nope they don't like socks they don't wear socks forget about socks <laughs> but but the football guys they they've got this new thing where socks are really special and they've got to customize it and they want to match it and they want to have it with their sports logos and they want their last name on it and their number. Oh. Well, what is this trend? So yeah. you usually go out and you you've got a hypothesis of what segments you're going to go out to and you start having some conversations and you're going to learn. And almost always it will shift that hypothesis into something else. And you'll find that you're actually going after a different segment that's going to be more profitable and have more unmet needs for a problem you can actually solve and make money in than what you originally thought.
2: So I I think this is super important because a lot of our customers get bogged down at this point. It's, you know, they'll, they have an idea of this is specifically what I want to do. Mm-hmm. want to go into the embroidered fishing cat business.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And this is why I'm starting the business without, without, um, you know, looking for those opportunities and evaluating the market first. So they'll end up, you know, banging their head against the wall, wondering why they're not successful. You know, when they're not successful because the idea in the beginning, even though emotionally it was really attractive, um, the fishing guys don't buy more than one shirt every 10 years, you know, Mm -hmm. or one cap every 10 years, or they'll only, they, they buy them at, you know, the, um, the shop and go on the way to camp, you know, they don't really nothing special about them. So, um, I, I love the idea of like looking at all of these things and then, uh, keeping your eye open to, for, for opportunities.
0: Absolutely. i found, found know, when you're going after a new space like that and you think that you have the greatest idea, one of the things that really helps is to write down your assumptions and do that with your team. And if you're an army of one, find somebody else that you trust, a mentor, a friend, what have you, somebody that you can ideate with and write down those assumptions. And then challenge yourself and say, okay, what if this assumption is wrong? What would it do? Does it kill my project? Do I have a way to get around it if this assumption is wrong? And then say, okay, have I validated this thing? And so if it's going to be really critical, if I don't, if I don't have validation. You know, that I, that, you know, my, my fishing, your fishing example, right? If, if those guys only buy one shirt a year, can I really make money? Right. Do they have to buy 10 shirts a month for me to make money or am I okay with one shirt a year?
2: So is that, is that the next, is that the next step? I mean, we started out in the sock business idea together and we've um, let's say we have done those surveys and we actually determined that there is a trend in uh, male football players wearing wearing these highly customized socks. You know what would be what would be the next step down that um, market development playbook?
0: Yeah. So so at first you're kind of starting. You're doing some market research. You're listing out your assumptions of what you think is true. You're doing some qualitative, just customer kind of interviews. You're having conversations to understand what the real problems are. Then you might wanna do some quantitative interviewing. Okay, here's what we found. These were the top 10 unmet needs. These were the top 10 problems. Help me understand, how important is this to you that we solve it and how satisfied are you with the solution today? And what that does for you, Mark, is it gives you some quantitative evidence of what's, what's the satisfaction gap. Did did the person I interview give me the problem of the day where they were really angry because their supplier didn't ship the ink on time? Or is this really a bigger problem where if I take a year or two or whatever it might be to solve it, that I can make money back at the end? So that quantitative piece is really important and a lot of companies, large and small, will overlook that.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I've got us some, um, so on, uh, so I'm writing down some things down here um keeping on task. So we end up with like a good idea. Right. So um, what we've put together is um, Mark had said, he believes there might be a, uh, there might be a market for custom socks. Right. And then um, you made some assumptions, right. So, um, we put together some ideas and you said um, there's probably something there's probably something about the quality of sock and the features of the sock that Mm -hmm. are important to people breathability or the material it's made of or how thick it is. And then, um, and then we could probably start off without leading, leading specific, but maybe for if we're saying it's for the football players, that they probably want it to be thick so it can work around dealing with obviously being hit and pushed around and going around pads and things like that. Um, and we're also under the assumption that they want it very customized, like to the fact of it, it even has their name in and and player number in addition to the small customization like um specific colors right cuz colors are are you're eventually you're going to nail all the team colors in your colors of socks but names are infinite so we we now we know that we have a way to fully customize the socks with names with numbers with logos and by color mm-hmm. and now we now we're going to go out and actually interview some people mm-hmm. and we can talk to coaches we can talk to maybe sock manufacturers on the wholesale side and ask them what information they have. We mm-hmm. can specifically just go talk to the football players. We mm-hmm. can talk to their parents. And, um, and I guess a, a question for you, um, how do you know when you've got enough information? Is it just a matter of, do, do you find a Eureka moment? Do you want, is there a minimum number you want to have of interviews? What's, what's like a, just a simple rule of thumb for that?
0: Yeah, typically. So it depends on the size of audience that you have, right? If you're going to a B2B audience, the information is almost always available. It's one of the advantages that we have. So if you're selling to a brand owner, for example, and you know, if you talk to 10 people, you're probably going to hear 70% of the unmet needs. Typical kind of rule of thumb. If If you talk to 30 different customers, you probably have all of the unmet needs. So it really then becomes a decision of what's my time frame and what's my budget, you know, what's good enough. Cause you really, yep. you're, you're kind of looking for how do I get a minimum viable product out the door?
1: Yes. And, and I would say, I would say one thing that you really need to, need to watch out for this. I'm sure both of you would agree. You cannot allow yourself to have a confirmation bias and stop once you've heard one person say you have a good idea. Absolutely. And that's so easy a trap to fall into is that you're like, oh, I just talked to two people. They both said it was great. You know, so. I just talked to
2: my two best friends and they both said it was a great idea. Yeah,
1: find eight more. Find, you know, find. um, And I think that that's important. So now we've gone, let's say we've done that now and we agree that um, that there needs to be made of us. They want a certain type of materials important to them. They do want the customization. Maybe we interview ten people, and eight of them say that they would love all of their socks to be custom, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we know that they want specific. And maybe the material doesn't matter that much. Let's say we've come to found out to find out that that they don't really even know if it's cotton or poly. They never asked. Um, the thickness didn't matter too much as long as they weren't going to fall apart after one game. Okay. And um, and they do want their names and numbers and logos on them and anything else that they can imagine. They don't even want to be limited to that. They just want literally anything. So that's that's the research we've come upon.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: um, what do we do next?
0: Yeah. So part of that is okay. Well, who am I going to sell to? And so we've probably figured this out somewhere along the line. Am I going to sell directly to those football players, or am I going to sell to the brand owner who's going to sell to the football players? So if If I'm selling to the brand owner, now I'm in a business-to-business situation, I'm going to bring that data that I learned back to the brand owner and say, hey, this is what I learned about the market, and what do you know about the market? And you share insights. And as you're sharing those insights, you're building your credibility as a supplier. So in a B2B situation, that's really a helpful step. And then you can share, okay, I'm going to work on some prototypes. Let's do some test marketing and let's work on that together. Now, if you're going to more a B2C kind of a situation, you decide to sell to that football player directly, maybe you use something like the cold SE on demand platform and you can start prototyping in that way where you can kind of show in a digital 3D model almost what that product might look like. And then you can start having some focus groups and you can, you can tie price to it. And so the beauty of having a direct-to-consumer is it's a little easier to figure out what price will somebody pay for something because you can bring some different uh, methodologies into that and, and test that and then adjust.
2: So, so on, the, on, on the bigger company level, um, that's, that's an actual that's an actual test group, right? You're doing actual, you know, customer interviews, uh, things like that on the um, on the more entry level, you know, you're, you're going to go talk to the football players and say, how much would you pay for this? You know, uh, what do you think about pricing for this? And you'll develop your pricing model from that and work backwards to see if you can make money. But there's not, you know, you, you don't have to rent out the, um, the product survey room with the glass, well, the one-way glass and the microphone and the cameras to, you know, have everybody go, look, I like the way it stretches. No, That's you can just cool. go, no. go to the football game and like show everybody the socks and say, you know, what do you think? What's it worth? I saw them online for this price. You know, how many would you buy? You know, you're basically doing your market research, um, walking around a football field. For example,
0: exactly, exactly. So enjoy the game, have your favorite soda pop, depending on where you are in the country and how you call it. Your favorite snacks, and and do your market research while you're out and about.
1: Yeah, I I think that that's great. Um, Those, that's one of the. It's so simple that it almost seems like it's not. It can't be the right answer. (laughs) Like it can't be. Like actually, just wait a minute. So just go out and just ask some people. Yeah. You know, uh, if you can make a prototype, that's probably a good idea, right? To bring a physical one,
2: Absolutely. but if
1: not, if not, you can bring um, a digital image of one. And that's- I think even if not, I mean, I don't know if this is wrong or not, but I imagine even if you just had the idea, you can just ask using words. Yeah. All, all this is valuable. I, and and I, I think like after you're done with this, you know,
2: you've already got, you had your idea, you validated, your idea or some version of it, um, you got cu- pre-production customer feedback. Um, you've got your price bracketed, you know, fairly well just by your uh, ad hoc survey or your m- more official long time, long term survey. If you're planning on rolling this out to retailers all over the country, that's going to be different than if you are in um, Tampa Bay area and selling to local athletes. And you've, uh, you've really developed a strong customer avatar because you've gone to talk to those people. Mm-hmm. So you've got your ideal customer. Um, what's
1: next? Well, yeah. I have some notes here that I'll add and then just yeah. tell me if we're on this way, we can make sure we're on the right pace. Because I, I would like our, our customers to be able to physically do this like we're doing it, right? And make sure that they've got the info to move on. So I, we've done market research now. Um, we brought a prototype out, we went to a few games, we met up with some peaches people and we let uh, the coaches let us come maybe even into the locker room and, and, and meet a few of the guys and talk about the stuff, show them the prototype. And we found out that, um, $20 a pair of socks was a reasonable price that, um, that 75% of the people said that they would buy it for that price. Um, uh, Ten percent said they would pay even more up to double, and another twenty percent say that they would never buy they would never buy socks that will cost more than five bucks right um, and then we also have that some research that about five to ten pairs a season is the number that each player says that they would go through, so somewhere between five and ten and um, it seems that about. It seems like from what we're looking at about 70% of the players would be willing to buy the product that we're selling. So that's kind of some of the research market research I have so far. What do I do with that information now?
0: Wow. That's some great research. Mark. It, it really, that, I mean, like, honestly, I swear
1: we're going into the sock business as soon as this podcast <laughs> <goes>.
0: this <laughs>
2: happens all the time.
0: So, so you want to understand how many players are in your target audience? So, that's fantastic that a good number of them will pay $20 a pair. How many is that really? How often will they buy those socks? What's your frequency? And you'd better know how much it costs you to make those socks, how much it costs you to deliver those socks, and how much it's going to cost you to advertise those socks Good so one. that you have a total cost structure in place so if your total cost structure is $22 oof hmm. guess guess we're dead we're not going into the sock business right but if your cost structure is $5 and Okay, 70. I I don't remember all the math that you quoted. It was fantastic math. 75% of your audience is willing to pay 20 bucks, but you can get 95% of your audience if you sell them for 15. Hmm. Are you happy with the profit margin of making $10 per pair? I'd be pretty happy making $10 a pair. Okay, I can deliver them for I can make them, print them, deliver them, advertise them. Confident I can do that for $5 a pair. Hey, I'm good. I, I can get deeper penetration if I price it a little bit lower and make it available. I've got some extra margin here. Hmm. Let me think about my channel. Am I selling direct? Well, Bob's distribution center happens to specialize in fundraising and they do a lot of stuff with schools. Hey Bob, you know, I, I've got these socks that I can make. I've done all this research. Seventy-five percent of these guys, yeah, I've got this met number of people. I think that are in your your reach. They'll pay twenty bucks a pair. I'll sell them to you for fourteen, and you just made six bucks for each one. And I just brought you a new market. Oh, yeah. so now I've engaged a partner who can help me with the selling, and I can use my playbook to share some of the research I've done. To bring a distribution partner on board. So maybe, maybe those very few and slim resources that it seemed like I had at the beginning, now I've got a partner and an affiliate, and I have a variable cost now as opposed to a fixed cost.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. And, and that's, um, that's a, what's wonderful about thinking about it that way is like you said, you're like, I've got the margin here now. And it's easy to think um, maybe to think small at first and say, dang, I'm going to make 15 bucks a pair. Like, that's crazy. I never thought I could make that. And you want to keep all that for yourself. But if you give up $6 a pair and you know, Bob's distributions uh, and, and doing the fundraising and all that now, all of a sudden, like you he doesn't just service your town, his business, his business is serving the whole County. Mm-hmm. because he's only one of two of these places that even do this in the whole county. So he serves the whole county. Now your market is, went from 25 people in the team to 10 teams, um, that's 250 potential, pe- potential people. They all said that they would buy somewhere between five and 10, so we use the number 7.5. Um, so And so 250 times 7.5 divided by the 70%, because only 70% said they would buy it but then we also, then you redid the math, we sold them for cheaper, et cetera. All that math you just start playing with. Um, now I have a, the opposite thought on that, right? Let's say that we do this and we find out that the, our cost is $22. Yeah. But I said another number in there that I wrote down that may or may, uh, you need to help me talk through this, if this is a good idea. I did say that 10% of the people would pay up to double. So 10% of the people would pay $40. For socks. So would it be because they're so customized that they were, they're elite, right? Not everyone has a Rolex, but there's a percentage of people who would be willing to buy a $5,000 watch.
0: Wow. That's a great point, Mark. So is
1: is that a good plan and how do we know if that's a good plan?
0: Ooh. Well, to figure out if it's a good plan, we have to think about our segmentation. There's that, there's that word that you mentioned earlier. Again, And what you're doing is you're further segmenting your market down because you're trying to understand buying behavior. Okay. So these folks are willing to spend $40 on a pair of socks. Wow. What's the profile on that buyer? What's their income bracket? Where do they buy things? Why do they buy things? What's the frequency that they're going to buy these socks? And how many of them are there? How many pairs of socks can I realistically expect to sell? And what's that look like to me from a revenue and a profit standpoint? And how am I going to engage that audience to get those sales? How much is that gonna cost me? And then I really have to do an opportunity analysis. Okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just looking at getting into socks and maybe that's fine, maybe I'm happy. But what if I'm also evaluating the custom printed shoe market? And what if I only have a limited res- a number of resources and I don't have any partners I can engage to get into both of those markets and I can only do one? Then I have to really compare and say which one can I make more money at, and which one is more in line with my capabilities.
1: Okay, so that's now. Now we have a lot to figure out here because we've got a few good ideas, and <laughs> they both seem to work out well. So without, let's not play into numbers just so we can finish it up because we're nearing an hour. Um, let's just make some assumptions that the sock was the right idea. Since what we started with that, let's let's at least make this idea winner for the sake of telling a happy ending and story. (laughs) Um, So we found out that um, uh, either one of two things is going to happen and maybe both. I don't know. Um, Maybe we did find out that that we can make enough money and we went the distribution route for the ones that are just like name and number. Right. And that works because we can sell them for, for $14. And, And and we have distribution on that. But and we also see the other market for the super customized one, and we figured out that there's money in that too. With the amount it costs to make is only a a little bit more. Um, It's it's really it doesn't cost us any more in an actual production. It costs us more in delivery because we're we're now using maybe two different pieces of equipment to decorate them, and there's more time for the artist. The name and number, the artist takes two minutes to set it up, but the fully customized one, the artist takes 30 minutes. So there's more time, things like that. But we do have both of these markets. And maybe we're going to play into both of these as, um, as something that our business is going to focus on. Um, they're profitable. The marketing is going to be enough to have, in the end, we've got the margin that we're happy with, the profitability we're happy with. We're able to make, in the end, you know, $7 a sock. or I'm just making up a number. Whatever number we'd be happy with saying at the end of the day, we pay our salaries and our business profitable. What, what, where are we at next?
0: Wonderful. Well, then you've got a product. So now you have to tell, tell your sales team about it. And you have to pick how you're going to advertise that. So now you're really putting that playbook together. You're taking all that research that we've done and you're saying, okay, here's the target market we're going after. We're going after these football players. And we're going after this segment of, of football players specifically because they're willing to pay $40 a sock. So if you run into somebody that's in this other 90% of the segment, just say no, because you're going to waste your time. Focus on tempted. this 10%. Yeah. Right? Don't right? be <laughs> tempted. Exactly. Don't, don't, it's a distraction. So we've already vetted this out for you. Let's be efficient. We're really hunting here. And then you're going to say, here's how you find these kinds of people. This is how we can advertise. This is how we engage directly. These are the types of affiliate partners that we're seeking. If you find an affiliate partner, this is the kind of price that you can offer that affiliate partner for this level of volume. Here are some of the value points that we have and why people want to buy our socks. This is what is different about the product, this is what's different about doing business with us, so that you've built a full differentiation in there, and if somebody says, no, thank you, here's some of the common objections we hear, and here's what you might say to counter that objection, and help that person believe in the products that we're offering, and ultimately to close that sale. Yeah,
2: so so I think that the, the ideas that you talked about, with um, With training your salespeople on how to deal with customers and the objections and the language to use and the value statements and things like that, you know until you are a relatively significant size, you probably don't have more than one salesperson so the all of those things apply exactly to the messaging that you're going to use to market the product so Absolutely. if you if you go out and recognize that A large, you know, your even though your target is people that are excited to spend $40 on socks, you know, the $30 a sock people, you don't want to, you don't want to turn them off completely. You want to talk them into that extra 10 bucks. So, you know, you might address the price objection right in your advertising or in your messaging. Since you don't have a salesperson to say, you know, I understand why you might think that's a lot for a pair of socks. I thought that way too until I found out this, 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 and this. That's Absolutely. your advertising play.
0: Absolutely. Right.
2: And, and, and yes. the, the other thing I, I like about this is that, you know, you're going through this process and it, it's, you know, wildly important if you are going to be a funded startup. For sure. If you're, if you're taking half a million to $3 million of somebody else's money, to start a custom apparel business in the sports socks, then you're going to have to have this information, right? But even if you're just starting out in your back bedroom, going through all this work and actually having this written playbook in the end means the next time you have another idea, this is what we do. This is how we sell things. This is how we find the sources for things. You know, it applies to, this is how we make stuff. This is how we answer the phone. This is, you know, here is the playbook of my business, starting a
1: product and how I made it awesome. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. it sounds like the playbook is also, you definitely have to start before you're finished. Like you're writing it as you go along. Because you mentioned some of the things in that last step there are, what are common objections? You know, well, I, um, I haven't tried to sell that much yet, so I don't know what, what they all are. I'm going to assume these are going to be the objections, right? Um, uh, why do I need a customized sock? might be one, you know, um, why should I spend that much money? It might be another, who knows, but you don't know what those are. So you can assume some and you have some answers to those objections. You can include that in your marketing, Mm -hmm. um, or you just include it as part of the sales process, depending how you're selling and, uh, and then, as you are selling, you will hear more objections that you've never heard of before, and then you need to make sure you note those mm-hmm. you and and one thing I remember in sales is that um it's the same as when um when somebody gives you like a, a somebody digs at you and then you think of the clever thing that you should have said after <laughs> you know? um if you watch I've Seinfeld <laughs> Seinfeld you know that. the famous jerk store. <laughs> you know, answer if anyone's seen that before. Um, so, but you I'm an only it.
0: child. I, I completely get you, Mark.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got to write that stuff down and then this way next time, you know what to say it. And then that becomes a part of the playbook. Absolutely. So really um,
0: well described.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, I, um, I like that. I think people can do this. Realistically, no matter how big or small your business is now, um, we've this, in my opinion, this episode, we, you know, especially in walking through and walking through that, I mean, that's how you find your answers. It's a lot of just asking questions, is the way I say it. It's a lot of asking questions and figuring out where the answer is.
0: Absolutely. And being open minded enough to say, I don't have all the answers. And it's okay if I'm wrong. And it's okay if I change my hypotheses.
2: Right. So, so um, as we, as we start to wrap up here, Kelly, I know that uh, you're working through on demand uh, with Mike and uh, with some of our ColDesi customers, but outside of that, like who is like, what's the most common profile of a person that would benefit by hitting that LinkedIn link that we're going to hit in there uh, in the podcast notes and talk to you directly about something.
0: Sure. I thank you mark i really help b2b companies accelerate their growth so my focus is on a lot of people that are trying to develop new products new services they're really trying to scale their business maybe it's a family-owned business and they want to leave a legacy for a son or daughter or they're trying to scale that to sell Um, so a lot of my clients are trying to do those types of things uh, I do work with folks around the world and continue to do so. And Zoom really makes that easy. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I, I, I mean, especially I like the, uh, the it makes you look younger button. That's my favorite. <laughs> That's my favorite part of Zoom. Maybe I shouldn't have said that out loud.
1: I need that one now because now I'm officially old according to Mark. I
2: know, I know. Mark. Had a I turned 40 up. yesterday.
1: <laughs>
0: Happy birthday.
1: It's terrible. Thank you. <laughs> I'm actually younger than you are now. Now so I know, know that. that turned out turned out to be really weird. How that happened. It's very
2: strange. So um, okay. So if you are listening to this podcast,
1: then um,
2: click on the uh, click on the link to go to customapparelstartups.com and look at the notes in the podcast because we're going to do a couple things. We're going to put links in there to the related episodes. You know uh, about developing a customer avatar and sales conversations all of which would probably be good for you to listen to while you are creating your playbook, after you picked your product. And now while you're creating your playbook, those would be great. And there's also um, Kelly's contact information in there, which I think you're you're gonna benefit from. And we'll link to some relevant articles in the Cold Essay On Demand section as well.
1: And a final thought that I have on this is, um, is uh, this takes practice to do. So, um, one of the things that I would do when I was, uh, in school, they would, do, they would do this, you know, they would teach us to, um, they, one of the things you learn when you go to university and they're in, you're learning about sales and marketing is they give you practice ideas to go through mm-hmm. and pitch so you can get used to doing this. So for your business, if you do sell um, custom T-shirts and hats and things like that. I think it's probably a good idea to try to do this a bunch of times for a bunch of different ideas that you have. Especially while uh, in the beginning, in the beginning of your business, you're, um, unless you unless you have received some sort of funding, right? But if you're a startup, you know, bootstrap, you know, shoestring budget type of startup, you have you typically you you have the time, not the money. So you can take some of that time that you have and do this as an exercise a lot and get good at it because one of the hardest things to do is to think of the ideas because all the time uh, when I'm, I I do what you said, Kelly, every once in a while when I'm trying to think of an idea, I'll go to a, a trusted friend that I know I can bounce ideas off of or various ones. And sometimes they are just dead end of ideas. They've got nothing to add because they don't do this so i have to keep delivering ideas and then then we can have a conversation so that's one of the parts of the practice is well i can't sell t-shirts because everyone sells them cheaper than me in town you can't think and, of any idea to overcome that like
0: and and i'll counter that mark with instead of looking for solutions look for outcomes
1: okay yeah
0: what yes. is it that your customer really wants And is not being offered to them. And if you look at outcomes, that will bring you to those solutions.
1: Great. Uh, Do you have any final thoughts um, in regards to this? uh, What we've talked about today,
0: Kelly. You know, I think it's a great conversation. And you know, why we have these conversations is to help all of us get better. And the more you take the time to plan. And to ask the questions, to focus on outcomes, and let that take you to solutions, rather than starting with solutions, you're much more likely to have a higher hit rate on your new product developments. Um, People that use this are 60, 80, 90% successful. People who don't use this process, less than 20%. So, it it works and it works in companies large and small.
2: Awesome. All right, everybody. That was, that was great. Kelly, thank you very much for being a guest with us today. And um, again, you'll find all of Kelly's contact information in the podcast notes. This has been Mark Stevenson from Coldesi.
1: And this is Mark Vila and um, I'm from Coldesi as well. And today I'm sporting a digital heat effects shirt. Yes, so we love um, heat we'll make this episode sponsored by Digital Heat Effects, which sponsored. is one of our brands. Um, it's a it's a digital full color printer. If you're not familiar with it, and it's and it's not ink, it's toner. So it's a it's the fastest growing technology we've got out there. It's really hot. It's really interesting, and you can do some really cool things from shirts like this, which is a moisture wicking polo shirt to um, yesterday we did aprons and bags. And the week before we made um, a whiskey glass that was customized, all of the same printer. So it's very cool. So I'm going to, I'll finish it with that little sponsorship. And I
2: have to brag that (laughs) if you do uh, talk to us about that, you will be talking to the number one dealer in the world for white toner printers. That's, that's that's cold I see. Okay, guys, thanks. Have a good business.